Hello and welcome to Brandenburg One. I'm Huronzani and thank you for joining me for more Baroque Now. As always, I'm joined by one of the fabulous musicians and artists bringing Baroque music to life with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. Founding member, Principal Theorbo and Baroque guitar, Tommy Anderson is sitting with me today. Hello, Tommy. Hello. I'm very glad you could join me, and I know that we've got actually quite a lot of ground to cover today uh, because we're talking everything figures, tablature, and basso continuo. A lot of things, yes. <laughs> yes, so maybe we could start with basso continuo. So what is a basso continuo section? Well, if you come to one of our concerts, you will see that we have bowed string instruments in the bass section. We have cellos. We have uh, violone, and uh, so they take care of the bass line of the. But then we have instruments playing uh, chords on top of that, plucked instruments like the harpsichord or the theorbo, um, the guitar, which also can be strummed, and we also have used um, harps. We've used uh, an organ, and also. Uh, lirone, which is a bowed chordal instrument. So there are lots of instruments you can use to, to do the harmony on top of the bass line. Now, would these all have been instruments available during the Baroque period, say while J.S. Bach was alive? I would say so. Uh, it, it varied. I mean, it, it differed a lot from place to place what would have been the preferred uh, continuum instrument. I know, for instance, in in southern Italy, the arch lute was preferred to the uh, theorbo, I would say, and and in um, Germany, in mid 18th century, the galikon, which is a type of lute, would have been a preferred continuo instrument. But uh, yes, they would all be, have been available. I mean, it's almost uh, so many instruments. It's like a mini orchestra within the orchestra. Yeah, that's what makes it so interesting because you can create a sound scape of, uh, that can go from just one instrument playing it to a whole little section to create lots of different types of, uh, of uh, chordal sounds, of plucked sounds. Mm. Now you're talking about a soundscape. Maybe you can be a bit more specific about the role. What role does this section play within an orchestra like the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra? Yes, yeah, so we provide the harmony. So we, we often when the bass line moves very quickly, it's hard to actually play all the notes on a plucked instrument because you you play on a, on the theorbo, you play the bass line with the thumb only, uh, which is, can be a bit tricky if it's fast. But you focus on the harmony, the chords on top of the bass line. Right, so together, collectively, you're providing essentially the, the harmony to support the more melodic or instruments that are more generally used for the melodic line, like the violins. Exactly, yes. Now, in terms of the instruments that you play regularly with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra, uh, what are they? I usually play the theorbo, which is a big uh, bass lute, you could say, um, with uh, an extended... Uh, peg box, so very long bass strings. It, uh, yes, it's one of the most impressive looking instruments. If if you haven't seen a photo of this uh, theorbo, it's fantastic. Yes, and uh, uh, so you have uh, like 
a left hand and a right hand on a keyboard sort of thing. Uh, you have two ranges of strings, shorter range that you play with your left hand and press down your fingers for, and then the longer bass strings that are tuned in a scale according to the key you play. And so which hand activates those uh, longer strings? Is it just the right hand then? Just the right hand thumb. Wow, okay. Yeah. So you have to try to find the right string. It's a bit like playing a harp, I guess. Fantastic. And uh, and maybe you can uh, then talk about the Baroque guitar. So how, what is a Baroque guitar and how is it different to modern guitars? Well, the Baroque guitar um, has no bass notes, really. It uh, has usually what we call a re-entrant tuning, which means that if you go from the highest in pitch string, the it has five strings or courses, double strings. If you think of a of a 12-string uh, guitar, for instance, where you have two strings per, uh, per note. And uh, the lowest uh, in pitch string is the fourth string on the guitar with this re-entrant tuning. So that's a D, like the fourth string on the guitar. But then the next one is an A that actually is a fifth higher. Wow. So it creates an instrument that doesn't really have any basis at all. So what they used to call, I think, is sort of an imperfect instrument because it doesn't provide always the right bass note to what you play. But you don't notice because there are no low bass strings anyway. Yes. It, it, that's not a very generous term, though, term, though an incomplete <coughs> instrument. Yeah. I think it was uh, Matisse who, who called it that. <laughs> but uh, he was apparently a very good guitarist too so I think it's um, uh, sort of a, quite a generous term. Why then would you choose to use the Brock guitar say over the Theorbo if it doesn't have these bass notes what are the advantages to the Brock guitar? Well to start with there are usually no instructions for what continuous instrument plucked continuous instrument you should use. Um, I choose to use the guitar uh, if the guitar would have been used at that time at that place and especially when we have uh, music that's rhythmically dance-like that needs uh, a strong rhythm in a continuo section then it works really well. What sort of music is best suited to the theorbo? Well theorbo is great because it has um, a lower range so it's a bit like um, playing a, a lute with a double bass attached to it on top. So wow. you can go down really low uh, to give really rich harmony. Um, Theobo was uh, developed to accompany singers for the uh, first operas in Italy. And uh, it was very much used for singers, but also uh, in pieces with, with um, strings too. So in terms of theorbos, I've seen uh, the theorbo you play on uh, regularly up close. It's, it's a fantastic looking instrument, but it's not the only theorbo you've purchased, is it? Um, no, I have a much bigger theorbo, but because of the COVID-19 problem, it's currently in Westminster Abbey <laughs> waiting for me to, to arrive in England and uh, 
doesn't look like that will happen anytime soon. Yes, it's it's a bit unfortunate. And when you talk about having that sound, that resonance, almost like a, a double bass, uh, you make me uh, think of a particular piece, uh, Tommy, uh, one that's actually one of my favorite Brandenburg recordings um, from the Tapas album. Now, uh, it comes from a composer called Giovanni Girolamo Capsberger. Maybe you could tell us about this Toccata Arpeggiata. Yes, um, it was published quite early in his life, in 1604 in Venice. It's called Toccata Arpeggiata because the player is supposed to arpeggiate the chords, but the actual music, or tablature I should say, is just written out as four-note chords. And Kaspberger gives instructions for exactly how you should do the arpeggiation. So let's have a listen to uh, Toccata Arpeggiata by Giovanni Kapsberger with Tommy Anderson, Paul Dyer and the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. that going Tommy while we while we continue talking this was all notated on a piece of paper smaller than an A4 piece of paper third of an A4 I would say now how is that possible Tommy yeah that has these chords so the arpeggios that I play there are not written out so it takes very little room but Kasperger tells you quite specifically how you arpeggiate the chords so uh, it sounds like it uh, has several voices and so on, but it's because of the arpeggiation that uh, it becomes quite subtle. Also, the theorbo has quite a lot of strings that are in unison or can be in unison quite easily. And you can hear that uh, some notes are repeated and they're on different strings. A fantastic piece of music. That was the Toccata Arpeggiata by Giovanni Kapsberger from the Tapas album, the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra, of course. Now, Tommy, uh, another thing that uh, springs to mind when I think of your instruments and, and what you were talking about in terms of 
efficiency in notation, having such a small amount of actual music notated and then creating such a vast array of music is tablatures. Now, uh, you are the resident expert on tablature in the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. After 30 years of playing with the orchestra, I'm sure you're, there's no one better to talk uh, about this subject. First of all, what is tablature? Well, tablature is a way of seeing immediately where to put your left-hand fingers on the fingerboard. So it tells you exactly where to place your finger on which string and it doesn't tell you what note you're actually playing. So that's something you have to work out yourself if you want to. You don't even have to know how to read music to do tablature, but uh, it certainly helps. Um, so this is a system that was used from about 1500. The, there were several different types of tablature. The main ones were the French, they used letters so A means open string, B means put your finger at the first fret, C and so on. And the Italian uh, used numbers. So zero was the open string, one was the first fret, two the second fret. Um, there were other types too, but uh, they were the main ones that were used. It's fascinating. I mean, obviously, we've seen lots of points of difference um, when talking together at uh, rehearsals and various other um, concerts of the sorts of notation available and what was being used readily during the Baroque period. But this tablature that you're talking about sounds extremely similar to popular guitar tabs that are actually available today for any even every pop and rock song. That's true. It's basically exactly the same thing. So it's been around for more than 500 years. You wouldn't, probably most people who download tabs on the net don't realize that. It's actually a very old way of doing it. Um, usually, though, um, these days, it's assumed that the one downloading the tab knows the song already. So often there's no rhythm there rhythm signs mm. so you have to know the song but it tells you where to put your fingers and which strings to play open and so on while the older tablature from 1500 to 1750 had very precise rhythm signs so you know exactly the um how long each note is you, yes. you have to know the style to know how fast it should be so if you play a saraband or a courant you know roughly what speed it should be. Yes, and in terms of time signatures, something that's commonly associated, obviously, with notated music, um, there are time signatures too, aren't there? There are time signatures in the tablature too. So that's basically the same as what you would do in, in normal notated music. So now, Tommy, what did you start learning from when you were starting to learn guitar music? Did you go to tablature first or was it notated music? It was notated music. I started in... in uh, year five at school and uh, we did music from the start which i think is great because it gives you an, a good understanding of harmony and so on which you don't get when you just place your fingers where the tablature tells you to put them and today in terms of the music you play from when playing with the australian brandenburg orchestra uh, what do you have in front of you in concert i have uh, the usually the cello part and uh, in order to know 
what harmonies to play on top of that. I have figures. And figures, Tommy. Now, this is something that we've spoken a little bit about um, previously with my role as librarian. I've had to write in a few of these for you over the, <laughs> over the last 18 months. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about figures. What are figures? Yeah, and I'm very specific about having the figures on top <laughs> of the bass clef, uh, of the bass stuff. Um, figures tells you what harmony to play. Let's say we have a piece in G major, so F sharp is the key signature, and I see a G there. Then I assume that it will be a G major chord yes, in root G, position. In root position, G, B, D. G, B, D, exactly. Yeah. So without any figures to say otherwise, that's what I assume. Now, if there's a B in the bass, then I assume it's, it's again... A B minor in root position, B, D, F sharp. Very often, though, a B, when you play in G major, means that you're in the first inversion of mm. the G major. So what we have in that case is B, D, G, which would be 1, 3, 6. Yes, so a completely different chord. Yes. So in order for me to know that, if there's a 6 on top of that B, that tells me that I should play the 3rd and the 6th. On top. And if the sixth isn't there, um, is it something that you would write in for yourself? For example, maybe there was a mistake, a lowly librarian forgets to add a particular figure. Yes, usually uh, when you get experienced with this, you can, you can tell that I, I guess that there, there is a six here because you have played so much of this music that you can, but sometimes you get surprised. So uh, I find that it's best to always write things in um, so you don't make a mistake on the spur of the moment. So in a way, figures are sort of like a, a shorthand, uh, a shorthand for the harmony that you are going to need to fill in from the cello part, just the pure sort of bass line. Exactly, yeah. And as with all uh, systems like that, if you have too much information, it's confusing. Yes. So if you have to write... Uh, one, five, one, three, five on top of every chord in root position, it would be too much information in the music. So mm. we assume that that is the case. Um, so uh, the idea is to just to write in the necessary stuff, really. Yes. And we uh, use a, a variety of different sorts of editions, but we tend to use facsimiles of the original manuscripts when performing with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. In terms of what was being notated at the time, for example, with uh, a piece by Vivaldi or J.S. Bach, um, what do you tend to see in terms of their, their manuscripts and what they notated? Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, Vivaldi's music rarely has figures. Um, so often I have to look at the score and put in the necessary figures to make it work. Bach, on the other hand, is very specific. He writes in every little detail, even the spacing of chords. Mm. Uh, so you have all that information there. And obviously, probably more meant for, for a keyboard player. So you can space chords on the oboe, you can't do the same spacing. Um, so it depends what music you play. Italian music often doesn't have that much information and you just have to know uh, the style, I guess. Well, the French music has a lot of figures in it and a lot of dissonant chords, which I love about French music. 
Yes, I know that you and Melissa Farah share a particular penchant for French music. Definitely, yes. That's it's my favorite music, really. And there's so much also solo lute, solo the oboe music from the time of Louis XIV too. And how does this then, this figured notation sort of work uh, in terms of tablature? Are they used simultaneously or for very different purposes? Um, tablature is used specifically for solo music. So I think all the solo music for uh, lute and Orthiober have tablature. Um, reason also is that on an instrument like a theorbo, you can play an A open first string, you can play an A second string fifth fret, you can play an A fourth string second fret. So there's so many choices for exactly the same note. Mm. So if you read the music, you don't know which which string should I play to play this note. Yeah. But with tablature, it tells you immediately, immediately. what how to play that. Now, going back to Capsberger and the Tapas album, uh, were there particular things that cropped up during the recording of that album that you may recall? You were playing from tablature, weren't you? I was playing from tablature, absolutely, yes. How then, when uh, Paul Dyer comes in on the harpsichord in the Toccata Arpeggiata, just after you finish playing through the Toccata for the first time, how then would Paul have played that? He can't read that tablature, can he? No, I don't think that he would uh, read a tablature and, and play on the harpsichord. I think he had uh, some uh, transcription of the music. Right, so maybe you could explain uh, what that is. What is a transcription? Well, it's when uh, you uh, transfer music that is in tablature into normal musical notation it usually means that you have to make some decisions about voice leading. So it's not, it's not, um, it, it doesn't give all the details. So you always have to, have to, um, it's subjective too. Yes. You know, what you, what you want to, how you, how you see it really. So in a way, uh, transcription is uh, almost like arrangement, um, but it's not for the purpose of creating something brand new, a new imagining of a piece. It's for the purpose of being able to, perform something well on a particular instrument that maybe the the original notation um, was not written for. Exactly, yes. Um, yeah, for me, arrangement is something different. Um, that's when you make some uh, major changes to, to music you, you play. So you mentioned, Tommy, that the theorbo was being developed for its use in opera, uh, but obviously solo music was being written for the theorbo as well, wasn't it? Well, yes, if you have the instrument, of course, you, you would be curious about how that would sound as a solo instrument. So there were two main composers, Alessandro Piccinini and Kapsberger, who published books of solos for the Theorbo. Um, the few others in Italy, um, and then the main French composer, Robert de Vissé, who was uh, at the court in Versailles, he wrote quite a lot of solo music for the Theorbo there too. And in terms of the Tapas album, where did that music come from? Did it come from one of Capsberger's books? Yes, the Toccata Arpeggiata came from the book uh, published in Venice, 1604. And then I also play Bergamasca, uh, which is a dance from Bergamo. And 
That was published in a book from 1640, published in Rome by Kapsberger. So 36 years later. Wow. Maybe we can hear uh, a little bit of that. Let's listen to the Bergamasca by Giovanni Kapsberger with Tommy Anderson, Paul Dyer and the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. Tommy, I'll leave that going uh, at, in the background for a little while. Uh, you could talk to us maybe about the devices being used here. I've heard the term ground bass uh, before. Is, is that what um, Capsberger is exploiting here? Definitely. The Bergamasca is uh, a ground, which would be tonic, subdominant, dominant, tonic, basically. Yes. So very simple sort of ground and then he writes variations on top of that and we have a second theobo doing the chordal accompaniment to, to just to fill out and then of course we have these percussion instruments coming in yes now what were you playing in terms of this recording did you play both of those theobo parts no my colleague uh, samantha cohen from melbourne played the the accompanying theobo part and I played straight from Capsberger's um, tablature. And in the tablature, are all of those variations present? They are, definitely. So I think there's something like um, 12, 15 variations on this ground bass. And uh, maybe just one last thing about this Bergamasca. So when we come to this sort of piece, is this very typical of the Baroque period of Capsberger's repertoire? Um. Yeah, he wrote quite a lot that was based on, on a ground bass. Um, and they were, you were sort of expected at the time, I think. We're talking maybe late 16th century. You were sort of expected to be able to improvise over something like that and make something really nice and interesting and beautiful on top of that. Now, your piece that you've performed for the Bach series, you played the Sarabande from the Partita Number no. 1 in B minor, which was originally written for solo violin. But you weren't playing solo violin, of course, Tommy. <laughs> Just as well. <laughs> but, uh, but you were playing on the Galicon. Maybe you could tell us about uh, why you chose to play for that instrument and what was involved. How did you get there? All right. So to start with, um, Bach was no stranger to, to using his music on different instruments, like the music we heard at the very beginning of this uh, is from a cantata. It's a symphonia from a cantata. Yes, BWV 29. Thank yeah. you. Uh, but it also exists as solo violin 
prelude for the uh, in the sonata number the no, partita number three, and it's there's also another arrangement by Bach for I think would be the Lautenwerk, so, which is a, a harpsichord-like instrument with gut strings. So, so Handel wasn't the only person to reuse his own material over and over again. No, definitely not. I think that's the Baroque spirit. Is if you if you have something good, you use it. Uh, Bach also arranged music for um, uh, by Marcello and Vivaldi and so on for harpsichord. So that's they had a different. Um, idea about borrowing music, I think, than we do today with all the copyright and so on. So um, for me, um, this Saraband is a piece that I've played since my teenage years on the guitar. Now the Gallicon is has a tuning that's very similar to a guitar. I would say the Gallicon is the perfect instrument really for some uh, guitarist to transfer to playing the lute because mm. it's the most similar to a guitar, a modern classical guitar, that is. Almost like a, a gateway to the lute. A gateway to the lute, yes. <laughs> and we've heard previously in talks with you, Tommy, uh, both recorded and off-air, um, just how varied and brilliant the, the actual instruments that are in the lute family can be. So maybe talk about the, the Gallicon a little bit. What, is, what does it sound like and, and how did it work for the performance of, of this piece in the Bach series? Well, the Gallicon was an instrument that was developed when the Baroque lute in Germany became uh, complicated and had more strings. The uh, Baroque lute in, uh, from after 1717 had 13 courses, 24 strings. So just tuning it would take a long time. <laughs> and to master it, well, you had to be more or less a professional, I think, while the Gallicon was used to uh, accompany singers. There's also some solo music for it, actually some really nice stuff by Brescianello, who was in Stuttgart at the time. And um, to me, it seemed like the obvious choice to use for this Saraband. It sits really well. The Gallicon has the same top string as a violin, an E, so it's easy to play straight off, really. Well, Tommy, it has been a real delight talking with you today. Uh, thank you for sharing all of your knowledge, or at least some of it, about tablature, figures, and basso continuo. Thanks for having me. The Brandenburg is proud of our long-standing relationship with principal partner Macquarie Group. Our partnership with Macquarie Group is built on a shared vision of infinite possibilities and a commitment to the very highest standards of excellence. The Brandenburg is also proud to be supported by APA Group, our presenting partner for the Bach series. Through our partnership with APA Group, we have the opportunity to connect Baroque music to audiences and communities throughout Australia.